So, now we have the little understanding of the work that our triune God is always doing, always accomplishing in the world. Uh, let's go to lesson 12 and talk about uh, this triune God that we confess when we say the Apostles' Creed. First of all, big question, what is a creed? Well, a creed is a statement of belief. It's a statement of what we believe, teach, and confess. In the creed, and there's more than one, there's a few, uh, but we confess in summary form the key parts of scripture. So if someone asks what we believe, we can hold up a Bible, it's really thick, um, and people will be like, oh, that's a lot. What, so what part do you believe? Uh, so the creed and the creeds are statements of faith that uh, Christians from really the first century, uh, even there were baptismal creeds, uh, reformulated, kind of became the Apostles' Creed. Uh, other church fathers a little later wrote the Nicene Creed. Um, and again, they summarize what is really important, what's foundational about our Christian faith. Uh, creeds were formulated by the early church to confess what is true based on scripture and refute teachings that were false. There are three ecumenical, that's fill in the blank, ecumenical creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And uh, ecumenical means that all of the churches, um, uh, uh, Catholic, uh, Orthodox, Protestant, we've all said, yeah, we agree what's set in these creeds, uh, aligns with scripture, it is uh, the summary of our faith. It's the foundation. It's the most important parts of our faith. Now, I've got uh, one analogy I like to use to talk about kind of what a creed is because uh, some churches don't make a big deal about the creeds. Uh, and so they come and uh, come to my church or worship online at my church and um, kind of unfamiliar with the whole concept of, of the creed. So first of all, what I love about it is that it's ancient. Right, it is a statement of faith that generations and generations of Christians before me have come along. Uh, I'm not the first person in the world to pick up a Bible and try to read it. And it'd be pretty arrogant of me to say, well, I, this is what I think it all means. I got it all figured out. Um, uh, but these are, again, generations of Christians through the test of time. Uh, each generation has said, yes, 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 yes. Uh, this is our faith. This is what matters most to us. Uh, and they've been through the same temptations that I've been through. They've been through worse persecutions than I've been through. You know, they've lived in the same world that I live in. They've read the same scriptures that I've read. I say, yeah, this is what's important. This, this sums it up. And uh, some people think that maybe uh, the creed uh, in our church, or churches that really emphasize the creed and say it every week, uh, maybe they elevate it above the scriptures or it's equal, you know, in uh, inspiration as the scriptures. That's not true. Uh, the creed is a tool that's used to uh, help us keep right uh, the word of God. So my analogy is kind of like it's the picture on the box that the puzzle comes in. You get like a thousand piece puzzle, you spread out all over your card table and you, what do you, I do, prop up that box. Uh, I don't think that's cheating at all. Uh, that's why you got it. 
uh, and you can look at that picture on the box and I hold up a blue piece and look at the box and be like, oh, okay, there's no water. Uh, it must be the sky over here. It looks like that. So kind of maybe somewhere around in here, um, what the, what the creed is doing is helping us see what's, what's in the center, what's the most important, right? Cause there's what hundred thousand words in the Bible. Uh, what's the most important and then what's on the periphery? Uh, not that it's not God's word or not important, uh, but what is the foundation of our faith right here in the middle? And then what's on the periphery? So as we go through the creed here next, we're going to learn what is most important. Again, from uh, the first century of the people who followed Jesus, uh, set was the most important. And praise God, it's been preserved and handed down to us in the Apostles' Creed. Lesson 13, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So there's the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. What's his primary role? Creation, uh, maker of heaven and earth. And that uh, phrase, heaven and earth, is a, a merism. Uh, it means, it's a figure of speech. It means everything from A to Z. We sell everything from soup to nuts, right? It's uh, God created everything from heavens and the earth, everything in between, everything seen and unseen, uh, everything physical and finite, right? The infinite God made. Now, Martin Luther really fleshed it out. I love his definitions or, or well, his uh, commentary on each of the articles of the creed. Uh, so for the first article, he says, uh, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, remember that one, we're going to come back to that, God's given us reason, and all my senses, all seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, and still takes care of them, okay, so not only God the Father involved in creation, he's also sustaining creation. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and homestead, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. <clears throat> Everything that exists, God created. So it is good and right to thank God for our clothes, for paper, for video cameras and internet. Uh, they're all pieces of God's creation. Uh, he richly and daily, there's that sense of sustaining us, daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. And so what we learn about creation, God, our creating Father. Uh, sacred Scripture uh, rejects three common views of creation. One is materialism. There's a lot of philosophies out there that can fall under this category, but essentially materialism is the thought that creation is the result of chance. Evolutionary chance, random chance, big bang chance. I, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, and that's a whole other conversation when you talk about creationism um, versus evolution or big bang or, or whatever else. 
uh, that's a whole other lesson, a conversation we can have about that. But essentially, uh, so uh, I've got an undergraduate degree in mathematics, and I can tell you the probability of this, this me and you talking and listening to each other right now, uh, being alive, that's what I'm saying, uh, that all this happened by chance on a planet that is exactly the perfect distance from the exactly the right size sun at the exact tilt of on the axis with the rotation roll. Everything being a mixture of oxygen and nitrogen in the air, carbon on the earth, water, all of this. It's, it's incomprehensible. The, you, you got a, a better chance of winning the Powerball jackpot 10 times in a row consecutive. I just, no one would ever say, oh, hmm. So you're saying there's a chance. No, there is no chance that it happened by chance. All right, another view rejected is pantheism. That's the idea that creation is identified as God. In other words, um, yeah, uh, animism or uh, a tree is God or a rock is a God or a part of God. It's not true. God made a tree, God made the rock, not a part of it. And then C, one that's actually was common in colonial America, and it's still common today, called deism, which says that God initially created all things, but does not sustain it. Uh, now that's the idea that maybe God wound the watch, set it down, and kind of walked out of the room, and just creation is just kind of ticking along, but he's hands off, he's not involved. Well, what we see in God's word, what he reveals to us about himself is that he is very much involved and wants to be intimately involved in our lives. He's involved in the world. The whole universe is held together by him. All right. Uh, next is the account of creation. You got uh, Genesis chapter one. I'm not gonna read that to you. Uh, you can read it on your own. <clears throat> but uh, what we learn from that is first of all, God creates out of nothing, nothing. And if you want another uh, Latin vocab word, we call that ex nihilo. Ex, like an exit sign, that's the way out. Nihilo, nothingness. It's complete emptiness. It's lack of anything. It's beyond that even. Um, and I've got a little joke to just use as an analogy. It's not a hilarious joke. I'll say that up front. Uh, so God creates out of nothing. There are some scientists working in a lab who wanted to create life just the way God did at the beginning. Uh, so the way they think that he did. So they're working in the lab and they've got dirt and water. So they're making mud. They're playing with different mixtures of air and they uh, zap it with electricity every now and then, like imitating a lightning strike, you know, in the early earth or something and whatever, working so hard on this. And then one time they zap the electricity and poof, there's like this little amoeba swimming around in the soup. And they're like, we did it, we did it. I can't believe we did it. They're so excited. So they run to God and they say, God, we did it. We created life just like you did. And God says, really? Well, let me see, I wanna do it again. Let me see this. And so they said, okay, they bring their stuff out. They start piling the dirt up, scooping it, making a little mound. And they start reaching for the Lord. God says, stop, stop, stop. Get your own dirt. Okay, you get it? Yeah, you get it. 
we cannot create ex nihilo out of nothing. We can't, uh, we can't even comprehend it. How's that even possible? Everything we've invented or discovered has all been created by God out of nothing. He spoke and it came to be. That's incredible. Incredible. All right. Uh, God creates by the power of his word. We've talked about that. Uh, there is one creator and everyone else and everything else is a creature. Uh, it's a pretty important concept, again, for our Christian worldview uh, to understand that basically everything that exists falls into one of two categories. There's the creator and there's creation. There's creatures down here. And there's a huge chasm between the two. Uh, one is eternal, the others are finite. Uh, one is even omnipresent, I mean, we're finite. Uh, one is omniscient, all-knowing, and we are stupid <laughs> in comparison, in comparison. Uh, so there's a huge chasm between the two, and there's really no way that we can bridge that gap uh, to get to the Father. That's why Jesus comes down, he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. Wonderful words of grace. So, uh, the last line there, angels are also part of God's creation. And I just mentioned angels because uh, who is worthy of our praise? Who is, who is worthy of our prayers? Who we pray to? Uh, if we're creatures... Uh, we pray to God and we worship God, the, the creator, uh, not other creatures like angels. Angels are other creatures. So are other, other people and saints. So that's an important distinction that we make. All right, page 15, uh, wrapping up the first article. Uh, and still takes care of them, as Luther said. In other words, God preserves his creation. God remains intimately involved, involved in and with his creation. I mean, there's just so many things here. Uh, Psalm 36, 6, O Lord, you preserve both man and beast, animals, all living things. God preserves them. Uh, all look to you to give them food in due season. And Colossians 1, 17, I love, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. What an amazing gift. God is still active in our world, holding creation together. God even works through us, giving us the ability to accomplish the things that we do. And Deuteronomy 8.18. Uh, but remember the Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is the one who gives us that ability. Now, the, uh, if you want to pause here, that's good. You want to come back. Uh, lesson 14, we're going to look at the second article of the Apostles' Creed. And again, it's all about Jesus for the world. The Creed reads, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And as Martin Luther 
would uh, flesh out uh, these words, this confession of faith uh, about now the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten from the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me a lost and condemned person, purchased and won, that means delivered me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. We've talked about the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, rose for our eternal life. We talk about having faith in Jesus. We talk about Jesus. What's really important to us is who he is and what he has done. Uh, we talk about the person and work of Jesus. First of all, the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? True God and true man. It's at the bottom of the page here. Uh, Jesus is holy man and he is holy God. Now, why is it so important that Jesus is holy man? And there's holy as in completely, 100% man. Jesus is 100% human. That's important because that means, first of all, he is able to live under God's law, live here in creation, cross that chasm, uh, and live uh, God's law perfectly in our place. And he can suffer and die in our place again, our substitution. Uh, he can suffer and die for our sins because he is truly human. But it's also important that he is truly, holy, or 100% God. Number one, so that he actually can be perfect and fulfill God's law, never sin. And also, truly God, because uh, he rose from the dead, so that he can rise from the dead. Uh, only the author of life has power over death. And that is who we have faith in. So important to realize, uh, Jesus, not just a good rabbi, not a, a moral teacher, uh, true God and true man. God come into the flesh to save us. In the next page 17, we get into the work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? And there's actually past tense and present tense and future tense uh, of what Jesus does for us. Remember that's gospel and God's the subject of the verb. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has given to us, number one, redemption. Jesus has saved us from all sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with silver or gold, but with his holy, precious blood and innocent suffering and death. And a number of Bible verses uh, support that. Um, so moving on, uh, other uh, gifts that Jesus has given to us because of his uh, death and resurrection. Uh, so redemption, salvation, reconciliation with God. I think about that, just how wonderful that is, that, that our sins separate us 
from God. It makes it impossible to have an intimate relationship with him. Uh, but Jesus makes it so we can be reconciled. I love that word. Again, that relational word that we have with the Father. Uh, gifts of renewal. Gifts of recreation. Uh, now, the works of Jesus are also present. Jesus is still at work in the world and each and every one of us. He didn't just ascend to heaven and abandon us. He lives and reigns doing all things for the good of his people. And he continues to come to be with us and work in the lives of those who are his. Um, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus continues to provide for the carrying out of his saving work as prophet, priest, and king. Those three blanks there, those are the uh, roles, the offices uh, that Jesus fulfilled. If you think of the Old Testament, they had prophets who spoke God's word to the people. They had priests who offered up sacrifices to, to uh, basically bring about God's forgiveness, his grace. And they had kings who, who ruled over them, who protected them. And so Jesus is the ultimate of all of those three. He's the ultimate prophet. He is God's word. He doesn't just speak it. He also, he also is God's word. Um, ultimate priest. He not only offered a sacrifice, he is the ultimate one and for all time sacrifice for all people. And king, yes, he's the king of the universe, not just the nation of Israel. And the work of Jesus, future tense, uh, it will come. So he ascends into heaven, and uh, in Acts 1.11, he says, Men of Galilee, so this is the angel talking to the people, uh, Why do you stand looking to, into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so Jesus will visibly return Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he will raise. That's the blank. Fill in the blank. Raise all the dead. And so that's the ultimate goal of our faith right there. It's the day when Jesus will return. Because uh, not only do we get new bodies and receive eternal life, but all creation. Uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Right? It's all restored to the perfectness, the very goodness, as God called it in Genesis 1, uh, that, that he made from the very beginning. Uh, so all things are back the way God wants them to be, which is perfect. And that's going to be a really awesome day. It's going to be an awesome day. Uh, so Jesus, he recreates all things. Um, again, we're waiting for Christ to return. And number three at the bottom, Christ will return only once. Uh, there is no biblical support for a rapture uh, before the final judgment and renewal of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, I know I just mentioned that because, again, rapture is a pretty common concept in a lot of American churches. And uh, it's just, unfortunately, it's just something that was uh, invented uh, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, it's not even that old of a... A doctrine. I wouldn't even call it a doctrine, but uh, some churches do. Uh, it's not that new. Uh, it's not that old of a concept. Uh, it's something somebody came along. But whatever. The bottom line is, it just doesn't fit with God's plan. God's plan is that He is going. Uh, Jesus is going to return one time, uh, and that's the end. There's no 
whatever, grace period or intermittent period or whatever, whatever. Jesus returns and that's it, time's up. Uh, and uh, it's a glorious day for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, all things have been done now. It's been, we're there, we've made it. All right, lesson 15 and we'll be wrapped up with the creed. Uh, the third article of the creed. So now we're talking about, you can guess it now, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now Martin Luther again expounds upon these uh, confessional words and says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls and gathers, enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. So if you remember in the first article, we talked about everything that God created and our human reason was one of the, one of the things that was important enough to, to mention. Uh, our reason is a gift from God, and it's a good gift. Without our reason, we could not learn languages and be able to read and comprehend things like God's word, but many other things we enjoy too. But our human reason is limited. It's limited, one, because of sin. Uh, we're just, uh, the world is corrupted, all creation is corrupted. But number two, our reason is really limited when it comes to being able to comprehend uh, things about God like the Trinity, for example. Uh, there's no way we'll ever wrap our minds around that here on earth. Well, what the creed is pointing out, and Martin Luther's really highlighting here, is that uh, when it comes to believing in Jesus, it is beyond the capability of our reason to be able to grasp and hold of that concept or that faith in that. Uh, that faith is a gift from God. And that gift is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus, right? So we can't by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit, right? Look at all the things he does. Uh, calls, gathers, enlightens us with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps us in the true faith. Uh, so it is the work of the Holy Spirit for conversion, uh, salvation, regeneration, rebirth. There's a lot of words, a lot of churches use, we use too, uh, but it's not our doing, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we, we dare not take credit for something that God has done. So we're very careful about that. All right, number two, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, sustaining us in the faith into life everlasting. And number three, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying or making us holy. And sanctification has two meanings. That's another church word we use a lot. So let's just define it real quick. 
Uh, first of all, there's the big sense of the word. The whole work of the Holy Spirit by which he, he brings us to faith and also enables us to lead a godly life. That's the entire change of life, including our justification, that's uh, salvation, rebirth, whatever you want to call it, but also growing, growing in holiness. And that's kind of part B for the individual, right? That part of the Holy Spirit's work by which he directs and empowers the believers to lead a godly life. So after the Holy Spirit gives us this wonderful gift of faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always present with us and always working to help us lead a holy life, uh, to be that conscious, that voice to help us uh, uh, use God's law in the third use, right, as a guide to how to live, how to treat our neighbors. And uh, also, oh, it ends with uh, the definition of the word holy, because another word we throw around, uh, we think of it being pure. Uh, there's a sense of that. Uh, literally, though, it means to be set apart. So if you think about, if you're familiar with the temple in Israel, uh, the tabernacle before that, uh, there was an area that was marked off that was the holy place. All right, so in the holy place, this was set apart for a specific uh, set of people. And then inside that space, there was a holy of holies, a holiest space. Uh, and that is set apart only for the high priest once a year can, can go in that very, very holy space. Uh, so God makes us holy. He sets us apart as his own children. He, he adopts us in baptism. He, he, again, wants to have that relationship with us, that intimate relationship. Uh, he invites us to, to speak to him, uh, have conversations with him. And I just encourage you to, uh, if you have any questions at this point, uh, about your own relationship with God, your rebirth in the spirit, uh, your conversion, your salvation, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, text at dflc.org. Uh, questions about baptism. Again, any, any questions about this at all, uh, I would really want to really want to have a conversation with you and get to know you. All right, that's the end of part three. Thanks for joining us so far. Uh, we're about halfway through this and look forward to seeing you in the next lesson.